The goal of Data Transformers podcast is to accelerate digital transformation by bridging the gap between business outcomes and rapidly advancing technologies. And we aim to bridge this gap by focusing on data. I am Peggy Sai, top 50 women in tech influencer, co-author of the AI book and data governance expert. I'm Ramesh Danta, an entrepreneur, a tech blogger, and AI enthusiast. For those of you who have already listened to a few episodes of Data Transformers, we're really trying to highlight people and technology, but the basis of all this is data. And I'm so happy to have with us today um, a colleague and a friend that I actually met at a data conference, Phil Bangayan, who now is a principal data scientist at Teradata. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So Phil, what I really thought was interesting about your, your career and kind of what you started. Sure, absolutely. So actually, I'm going to start off by going back to college. Uh, so I... Um, That's so way I, back. Yeah, way back. <laughs> um, so I did my undergraduate and graduate degrees in electrical engineering at UCLA. And after, upon graduating at UCLA, I figured there are only two places I ever wanted to work. One was NASA Jet Propulsion Lab because who wouldn't want to land a spacecraft on Mars? <laughs> and the other was Walt Disney Imagineering, because who wouldn't want to design theme park rides for a living? And so when I, um, when I graduated, I went over to NASA Jet Propulsion Lab, and I had a great time there. And then from there, I went to um, an um, another engineering firm called Rockwell, and I was a very happy engineer. And so one day, my, um, one of my managers tapped me on the shoulder and asked me to help write grant proposals. And so we won grant proposals, we won $250,000, and, um, and then we wrote a grant proposal for a $25 million grant. Hmm. And at, and Wait, I, did you say 25 million? Yes, we're writing a $25 million grant proposal. Um, wow. and, and, and we wrote that, but we didn't get it. And it was at that time that I realized that in graduate school, they taught me how to write good code. They taught me how to um, how to design good circuits, but they never taught me how to beg for money. That just wasn't part of the engineering curriculum. That's right. And, and so at that point, I realized, you know, I really enjoy bringing bring money into the company. And if I want to go ahead and do this as a living, I, I want to learn the foundations about how do you write grant proposals or business plans. Hmm. And so I went off to business school. And so I did, two year, I did a two-year full-time MBA at, M at MIT Sloan. And then when I, um, and when, I was in, um, when I was in school in Boston, I saw this white stuff falling from the sky, something that, Peggy, since you live in New York, I know you're familiar with. But for me, being a Californian, I saw this and I said, well, this isn't really what I'm, I really want to deal with. Wait, and you don't like snow or hail? No, I'm kidding. No, not at all. And so... It was at that point and my first winter that I said, okay, let me go back to what it is that I want that I want to do. And oh yeah, Disney. How about going to Disney? And so when I graduated, I applied to Disney. Hmm. And I ended up with a finance role at Disneyland Resort, which is a theme park in Anaheim. And when I was there, I wrote the business plan for Mickey's trick-or-treat party. And now, um, and then I was a very happy person in finance. Until one day, someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, we'd like you to take on a marketing role 
at Disneyland. And I said, well, wasn't really expecting to take a marketing role. And in fact, when I was in business school, I only had two marketing classes, one of which was required. And they said, well, you know, we've seen the work that you do, and we actually think that you would be really good for this role. In fact, one of the main projects going on right now is um, a monthly payment program. And, and it's involving our annual pass group, which is the group we want you to lead. And involves a lot of interaction with finance because essentially um, financing a, a monthly payment program is a finance program involves law of IT. And we think mm -hmm. it'll be helpful to have someone in marketing who understands those roles. You're right now in finance, you, you are an engineer. Um, so we think you'd be really great for this role. Right. And so I took on that marketing role and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed having a business within a business and having these lenders in order to grow that business. Go ahead, Peggy. I was gonna ask you, did you have any fears or hesitations by taking on a marketing role just because it was so different from what you were doing in the past or you didn't have any prior experience? Absolutely. Uh, Disney has world-class marketers. And, um, and in fact, you, I could draw three circles on a board and you would automatically um, know it's Mickey no, Mouse. Mickey Mouse. So and, and people have been wearing Mickey Mouse um, outfits ever since they were, ever since they came right out of the womb, they uh, were wearing Mickey Mouse diapers. So it's, a, it's an iconic brand. And so, yes, I actually had fears about it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's it was one of those roles where they told me, we feel we can teach you the marketing. Mm. We, we really need someone who understands um, other parts of the business to come in and, and manage this project. And I'd worked in, in my finance role, I'd worked with the marketing people enough that I knew them and they knew me. And so there was that level of comfort. But yes, you're absolutely right. There's, there's absolute fear in that, wow, this is an iconic brand and here I am in the marketing department when, when I wasn't necessarily a marketing major coming through. So, so I did marketing at Disney and, um, and grew that business. And then I took on a similar role at NBC Universal. And in fact, we doubled so that. Phil, uh, sorry yeah. for uh, interrupting, but the NBC Universal, was it your choice? You, you wanted to switch over or is it an opportunity that came your way? Um, it's an opportunity that came my way. Um, it's, you know, it's checked, it was an opportunity for growth and um, it was a director level position. So I'd be an executive at NBC Universal. I see. And, and, and so I came in and we grew that business. We doubled that business from 2000, um, 2011 when I started to 2016. And in that process, I used a lot of the analytic background that I had in order to grow that business. It was, a, it was really about using data and, um, and by data, I mean data points in order to make better decisions. And so throughout that process, as we're growing this business, there was a part of me that said, you know, this, this is great. I'm, you know, we're, we're making really good analytic decisions. And then we decided, well, why are we limiting this to just one line of business? I went to them, I said, you know, I'd, I'd like to go ahead and explore this further. And so that's when we um, created this marketing data science analytics project um, um, department. And, um, and so we're applying analytics throughout all of marketing, throughout the different lines of business. And Peggy, that's when you and I met when so, I was um, heading up that department. So Phil, a question, when you were doing that lot of analytics in that, did you have a, 
uh, educational background in analytics? Uh, did you take some courses or was it, were you learning on the job itself? Yeah, that's a really great question. A lot of it was um, based on my was based on my engineering and my finance work. So mm. a lot, so it was applying a lot of finance to marketing. It was applying a, a lot of, in, in fact, a lot of times when you're looking at um, strategic roles in marketing, they're always based on some data point. So you take different data points, you connect the dots together, and then you figure out what that larger story is. And so a lot of it was taking a look at data. It could have been, for example, from market research, it could have been from different sales um, data, or it could have been from, um, let's say, website data. Um, but um, so a lot of it was having that analytic mindset. But along the way, um, between 2011 and 2016, uh, MOOCs started coming about. And right. so you got, um, you got companies such as edX and Udacity and Coursera coming on board. And those, and those were of particular interest to me. And so, um, and so I started, started going ahead and taking some of those courses. In fact, um, as in fact, I'm sorry. Taking so, so Phil, so, sorry, I, I think it is so fascinating story. We'll keep interrupting you with questions. So you talked about this MOOCs that were coming around. I mean, was it your initiative that you went and looked at, or was somebody guiding you, uh, somebody you know mentoring you? Or you should look at it uh, in the area. So if you could talk about how that happened. Sure. So the first MOOC that I remember coming out was um, was one called AIClass.com. It was taught um, over, it was taught by Stanford, or uh, one of the professors at Stanford, and it and it made its rounds through the um, through the various um, boards or you know, just I think I found out about it on Facebook if if nowhere else. And I said, wow, that was really interesting. I'd never took an artificial intelligence class when I was an undergrad. Wouldn't it be nice to go ahead and sit in one of those? Well, I tried to sit in it, uh, trusted on it. It was a little too fast paced for me. And in fact, I think they found out that only about 4% of the people who actually started a MOOC um, ended up finishing it. Uh, but it, it really piqued my curiosity and it really made me say, wow, that's, you know, I'm glad it got, got ahead and I got a chance to do that because who gets a chance to take all the courses that you, that you wanted to in college? You know, there's, there's a limited amount of time. Uh, you, you're in school to get out of school. Uh, you certainly can't take everything you want to. And, if, and moreover, a lot of things change over time. So even if I had taken an artificial intelligence course when I was an undergrad, the one that they offered in, let's say, 2010 or whenever it was that, that AIclass.com came out, would have mm -hmm. been different. And it's probably different today in, oh, yes. in 2020 than 10 yeah. years ago. I mean, I love, Phil, how <laughs> you've always had such an open mind for for learning and, and transforming yourself. Um, could you share any other tips that you learned along the way to, to become more in the data science and analytics field? Sure, actually one thing I wanna point out here was that it was actually my wife who noticed that I was really enjoying this. I mean, I was <laughs> looking at various courses um, and it wasn't until I took a course called the Analytics Edge it was actually the first course that I paid to take. Um, it's a, so this is a, a great course. It's taught um, by, by professors at MIT Sloan, um, and it's meant for business school students. And I, I saw the curriculum. I said, you know, that sounds interesting. How do you go ahead and apply analytics in order to grow businesses? Something that I, I care about. And I went ahead and I took it. 
And as I was taking that, my wife noticed, you're really enjoying this. Hmm. Like you are enjoying this more than you are talking about messaging or talking about positioning, which are classic things you need to do in marketing. And those are things that I was doing for about a decade or so. And she said, you know, if you're this interested in it, you might want to take a look a little bit further in this and, and explore that further and maybe see if, they, if there is a, um, a way that you can apply this in your work. And sure enough, as, as I learned more techniques um, through that course, I started applying that at work mm-hmm. and I started being able to um, solve some problems that, I, um, that we had before. I just didn't know how to solve them. Um, or if I knew how to solve them, it might have been inefficient and there were new, um, more advanced ways of doing it. And so my, t- uh, so my advice is listen to people who know you well, because they may see something new that you may not even notice. Yeah, that's, uh, Phil, that's a great question. Just to follow up on Peggy's question, you, sure. you have, you know, one of the challenges people have in the industry is there's so much information, right? There are so many courses, so many people uh, offering. How should one go about evaluating what's out there and then which ones are the best? I mean, go with the highest reviews, ratings, or do you have any suggestions in that space? It's completely personal. Um, anytime I meet someone who's looking at getting into data science and I tell them how I did it, I always tell them it's my story. It's a personal journey. What mm. works for me may not work for you. So um, for me, I, I gravitated more towards university offered courses. Um, so as I mentioned, Coursera and edX, those are, uh, those are courses that are taught by um, university professors for the most part. Um, I know people who could, who could do equally as well going to a boot camp. Um, a boot camp wouldn't have worked for me because I, at the time, and in fact still am, um, you know, executive at a Fortune 500 company, um, family, um, a lot of pressure when you're running a big line of business. Yeah. And, I, and so I, I wouldn't have been able to make those evening classes because normally I was at work at the time mm-hmm. or class was being held on weekend. Well, you know, I actually, you know, I was already missing a lot of time with the kids and it wouldn't be fair to my wife to miss yet another day. So I didn't want to do that. So for me, what worked was taking these online courses and, and creating my own curriculum around it. But I can equally see someone say, hey, I need a little bit more structure. I'm going to do one of these boot camps. Or I can see someone saying, you know, I need more interactivity and I'm looking to go ahead and, um, and listen to lectures. And maybe I'll go ahead and do data camp. Or maybe someone saying, I want something that's a little bit more practical or has a, a lot, lot more variety. And um, maybe I'll go ahead and do um, Udemy. Mm-hmm. And all those are valid. Uh, I can all, all I can say is I chose one that worked for me. So definitely very, very customized for your yourself and your um, your personal situation. Um, I mean, so continue on with your career progression. I mean, so at NBC, you were already in your last role at NBC, you were already moving into data science and analytics and how did you make the, the full jump, though, to, to where you are now, which is principal data scientist at Teradata? Well, um, they, came, they came looking for me. So <laughs> it's another one of those situations where sometimes you just don't even know if you're going to be good in a role. And so when the recruiter um, reached out to me, um, he was actually looking for me to head up a consulting group. 
And I said, well, that's interesting because I don't have a consulting background. Um, so why are you, well, why are you coming to me? Mm-hmm. Again, said, that's another example where you are completely moved out of your comfort yeah, zone. I know. I, I would never have thought of, um, of going into a consulting role. Yeah. Um, but he said that what they were looking for was someone who was technical enough mm-hmm. and, um, to, and could help grow a team and could and could grow a business and can communicate with high-level executives and so when i was at nbc universal i i I was reporting to the chief marketing officer at least i was at one point in time Mm -hmm. i had monthly updates with the president Mm. i had been in marketing and in finance so i could communicate with both cmos and cfos and i had and i was managing um, teams up to nine people and in fact, I had, um, I had three, three direct reports who had one employee the year mm. uh, out of a group of 150. So I really love the idea of mentoring and helping people in their career and, um, and, helping, and helping people grow and succeed. And those were all elements that they were looking for, uh, particularly the uh, communicating to clients part. And so even though I did not have a consulting background, um, it actually ended up being a really good fit. Here a common theme, especially among other data and technologists, that communication continues to be the key here. I mean, I mean, Phil, I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on why communication is still the utmost quality in a lot of candidates and in a lot of employees. So one of my favorite uh, lines, which I used to tell my analysts all the time, is it doesn't matter how sophisticated your model is if no one understands it. Mm. And one of my pet peeves is when you do about 99% of the work and then the work goes to waste because someone doesn't agree with you or, or because you forget to do that final part, which a lot of time is communicating it. And so I don't believe that every data scientist has to be the best communicator but I do believe that there has to be someone on the team who can take some analytic analysis and, and distill it to a point where an executive, uh, like a CMO or a CFO or president, can, who doesn't understand it, can say, okay, what does this mean for me? Be so what? Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those lessons that, I'm, that unfortunately I learned the hard way because mm-hmm. Um, because there are times when I, um, when I had really great and analytic teams, but I didn't go that extra route in order to connect the dots and help my, um, my bosses, namely the C-level executives, understand wh- um, where that, uh, how that work would help grow a business or how that work would help transform a, a strategy or how we could go ahead and use that to our advantage. Previously, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, we were talking to uh, other people that are talking about the storytelling aspect of data science is extremely important. I think you're emphasizing that point. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, uh, storytelling can mean a lot of different things to um, it really, it really depends on what your um, situation is. And that by that, I mean, if you're a B2B company, what, you know, what does your, what's your client looking for? Or if you're an internal data science team, um, how do you go ahead and take that analysis and distill it to a point where someone understands what, it, um, not necessarily what does he do, but 
how the work that you do can help them um, achieve their goals. So Phil, continuing with this, uh, the theme of the transition. So now you are a Teradata and a principal data scientist. You are dealing on a day-to-day -day basis with P in data science, you're steeped in data science, PhDs in data science, probably multiple PhDs in data science. Mm -hmm. And then you're coming from a MBA background, of course, undergraduate engineering is still technical. So yeah. how is it like, is there a tension when a, data, a PhD uh, deals with a non-PhD. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the coexistence of this different skilled people um, within the data science kind of a team? Sure. In fact, I think one of the areas that I um, that I'm, I'm sensing here is that there might be some competition, and that's the last thing I want. Mm. I and one of the pieces of advice that I give anyone looking to get into data science is define who you are, and don't go off and compete against people who are more qualified than you. So for example, when I was going from marketing into data science, I knew that I did not want to compete against a 28 year old with a PhD in statistics. That person can write better code than me, understand, can do better proofs than me, and not a good, uh, not a good um, competition. Um, however, I bring a lot of um, experiences that someone who's in that situation might not. Um, so for, you know, I've grown businesses in finance and marketing. I've managed multiple people. I've helped people in their careers and I've helped them win awards. And these are all different skills that I can go ahead and bring, mm -hmm. which are very complementary to someone who, um, who, who has that PhD in you know, statistics or data science or engineering or whatever it may be. In fact, I was just on a project uh, where, I had, um, where I had somebody who wrote some incredible code to go ahead and, and demonstrate to our clients how to go ahead and do supervised learning. Mm. Um, I let him do all of the um, coding work. And of course, I had to go in and um, do, do some code myself because I need to go ahead and um, do two of the, two of the four um, sessions. Um, but I let him um, put most of the work together. And then I handled most of the communications and I handled most of the, um, the deck writing because that's where I excel. And that's actually the part that he didn't enjoy at all. So we complement each other pretty well. I love that story, Phil. I mean, it's really, you're playing to your strengths, right? And your experience and really bringing to the table a different facet to data scientists that, um, you know, the the fresh undergrad does not have yet, right? In terms of your your broad experience and, and working with the C-suite um, executives already. Do you remember the early 2000s when, um, when everyone's going to Fiverr? Yeah. And, and there was um, a problem which we call the last mile problem. Yeah. That's, that's the key that I, I play. I so, I can come, so if someone brings it 90% of the way through, I, I can help with that 10% and close the deal. Or I can go ahead and, and make, that, make that work um, actionable so, that, um, so it doesn't go to waste. And, and no one wants to see their hard work go to, go to waste, right? I mean... Um, so we all play a part. In fact, um, as one of my leadership um, pillars, I always tell my team that um, everyone plays a part. You, it's very easy uh, when you're the data scientist to be able to say, well, hold it. I've got the hardest part here because no one can do what I do. And you, that could be absolutely true, but everyone plays some other part in there. And it may be a part that you may not be as good at or it may be a part that eats up some of your time, 
or maybe just a part they just flat out don't want to do. So be appreciative of the part that everyone else in, on the team plays. That's great advice. I mean, I think for anyone in whatever time they are, point in their career, that's um, great mm -hmm. advice. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today and would like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player like iTunes and Spotify. And please do rate our podcast. Also, please go to our website, www.datatransformerspodcast.com for more episodes, blogs, and information on our speakers. Thank you.